Section 3 of London Labour and the London Poor, Volume 2, by Henry Mayhew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry. Of the street sellers of second-hand linen and so on. I now come to the second variety of the several kinds of street sellers of second-hand articles. The accounts of the street trade in second-hand linens, however, need be but brief for none of the callings I have now to notice supply a mode of subsistence to the street-sellers independently of other pursuits. They are resorted to whenever an opportunity or a prospect of remuneration presents itself by the class of general street-sellers, women as well as men, the women being the most numerous. The sale of these articles is on the Saturday and Monday nights in the street-markets and daily in Petticoat and Rosemary Lanes. One of the most saleable of all the second-hand textile commodities of the streets is an article the demand for which is certainly creditable to the poorer and the working classes of London, towels. The principal supply of this street toweling is obtained from the several barracks in and near London. They are a portion of what were the sheets of strong linen, of the soldiers' beds, which are periodically renewed, and the old sheeting is then sold to a contractor, of whom the street folk buy it, and wash and prepare it for market. It is sold to the street traders at fourpence per pound, one pound making eight penny towels. Some inferior is as low as tuppence. The principal demand is by the working classes. Why, for one time, sir, said a street seller to me, there wasn't much toweling in the streets, and I got a tidy lot, just when I knew it would go off, like a thief round the corner. I pitched in Whitecross Street, and not far from a woman that was making a great noise, and had a good lot of people about her, for cheap mackerel weren't so very plenty then as they are now. Here's your cheap mackerel, shouts she. Cheap, 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 mack, 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 mackerel. Then I begins, here's your cheap toweling, cheap, 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 tow, 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 towelings. Here's towels a penny apiece, and two for tuppence, or a double family towel for tuppence. I soon had a greater crowd than she had. Oh yes, I gives them a good history of what I has to sell. Patters, as you call it. A man that can't, isn't fit for the streets. Here's what every wife should buy for her husband, and every husband for his wife, I goes on. Domestic happiness is then secured. If a husband licks his wife, or a wife licks her husband, a towel is the handiest and most innocent thing it can be done with, and if it's wet it gives you a strong clipper on the cheek, as every respectable married person knows as well as I do. A clipper that way always does me good, and I'm satisfied it does more good to a gentleman than a lady. Always patter for the women, sir, if you wants to sell. Yes, towels is good sale in London, but I prefer country business. I'm three times as much in the country as in town, and I'm just off to Ascot to sell cards and do a little singing, and then I'll perhaps take a round to Bath and Bristol, but Bath's not what it was once. Another street seller told me that, as far as his experience went, Monday night was a better time for the sale of second-hand sheetings and so on than Saturday, as on Monday the wives of the working classes who sought to buy cheaply what was needed for household use usually went out to make their purchases. The Saturday night's mart is more one for immediate necessities, either for the Sunday's dinner or the Sunday's wear. 
it appears to me that in all these little distinctions, of which street folk tell you, quite unconscious, that they tell anything new, there is something of the history of the character of a people. Wrappers, or bull stuff, as it is sometimes styled, are also sold in the streets as second-hand goods. These are what have formed the covers of the packages of manufactures, and are bought most frequently by the Jews, at the wholesale warehouses or the larger retail shops, and resold to the street people, usually at a penny halfpenny or tuppence per pound. These goods are sometimes sold entire, but are far more often cut into suitable sizes for towels, strong aprons, and so on. They soon get bleached, I was told, by washing and wearing. Burnt linen or calico is also sold in the streets as a second-hand article. On the occasion of a fire at any tradesman's, whose stock of drapery has been injured, the damaged wares are bought by the Jewish or other keepers of the haberdashery swag shops. Some of these are sold by the second-hand street dealers, but the traffic for such articles is greater among the hawkers. Of this I have already given an account. The street sale of these burnt, and sometimes designedly burnt, wares is in pieces generally from sixpence to one shilling sixpence each, or in yards, frequently at sixpence per yard, but of course the price varies with the quality. I believe that no second-hand sheets are sold in the streets as sheets, for, when tolerably good, they are received at the pawn-shops, and, if indifferent, at the dolly-shops or illegal pawn-shops. Street-folk have told me of sheets being sold in the street-markets, but so rarely as merely to supply an exception. In Petticoat Lane, indeed, they are sold, but it is mostly by the Jew shopkeepers, who also expose their goods in the streets, and they are sold by them very often to street traders who convert them into other purposes. The statistics of this trade present great difficulties. The second-hand linen and so on is not a regular street traffic. It may be offered to the public twenty days or nights in a month, or not one. If a job lot have been secured, the second-hand street seller may confine himself to that especial stock. If his means compel him to offer only a paucity of second-hand goods, he may sell but one kind. Generally, however, the same man or woman trades in two, three, or more of the second-hand textile productions, which I have specified, and it is hardly one street seller out of twenty who, if he have cleared his ten shillings in a given time by vending different articles, can tell the relative amount he cleared on each. The trade is therefore irregular, and is but a consequence or, as one street seller very well expressed it, a tale of other trades. For instance, if there has been a great auction of any corn merchant's effects, there will be more sacking than usual in the street markets. If there have been sales beyond the average extent of old household furniture, there will be a more ample street stock of curtains, carpetings, fringes and so on. Of the articles I have enumerated, the sale of second-hand linen, more especially that from the barrack stores, is the largest of any. The most intelligent man whom I met with in this trade calculated that there were 80 of these second-hand street folk plying their trade two nights in the week, that they took eight shillings each weekly, about half of it being profit. Thus, the street expenditure would be £1,664 per annum. Of the street sellers of second-hand curtains. 
Second-hand curtains, but only good ones, I was assured, can now be sold in the streets, because common new ones can be had so cheap. The good second-hands, however, sell readily. The most saleable of all second-hand curtains are those of chintz, especially old-fashioned chintz, now a scarce article. The next in demand are what were described to me as good check, or the blue and white cotton curtains. White dimity curtains, though now rarely seen in a street market, are not bought to be reused as curtains. There's too much washing about them for London. But for petticoats, the covering of large pincushions, dressing table covers and so on, and for the last mentioned purpose, they are bought by the householders of a small tenement who lets a well-furnished bedroom or two. The uses to which the second-hand chintz or check curtains are put are often for waterloo or tent beds. It is common for a single woman struggling to get a decent roof over her head or for a young couple wishing to improve their comforts in furniture to do so piecemeal. An old bedstead of a better sort may first be purchased and so on to the concluding decency or in the estimation of some poor persons dignity of curtains. These persons are customers of the street sellers the second-hand curtains, costing them from eightpence to one shilling sixpence. Maureen curtains have also a good sale. They are bought by working people, and by some of the dealers in second-hand furniture, for the recovering of sofas, which had become ragged, the deficiency of stuffing being supplied with hay, which is likewise the stuffing of the new sofas sold by the linen drapers or slaughterhouses. Marine curtains, too, are sometimes cut into pieces for the recovering of old horsehair chairs, for which purpose they are sold at threepence each piece. Second-hand curtains are, moreover, cut into portions and sold for the hanging of the testers of bedsteads, but almost entirely for what the street sellers call half-testers. These are required for the Waterloo bedsteads. And if it's a nice thing, sir, said one woman, and particular if it's a chintz, and to be had for sixpence, the women'll fight for it. The second-hand curtains, when sold entire, are from sixpence to two shillings sixpence. One man had lately sold a pair of good moreens, only faded, but dyings cheap, for three shillings and sixpence. Of the street sellers of second-hand carpeting, flannels, stocking legs, and so on and so on. I class these second-hand wares together, as they are all of woollen materials. Carpeting has a fair sale, and in the streets is vended not as an entire floor or stair carpet, but in pieces. The floor carpet pieces are from tuppence to one shilling each. The stair carpet pieces are from a penny to fourpence a yard. Hearth rugs are very rarely offered to street customers, but when offered are sold from fourpence to one shilling. Drugget is also sold in the same way as the floor carpeting, and sometimes for house-scouring cloths. "'I've sold carpet, sir,' said a woman street-seller, who called all descriptions, rugs and drugget too, by that title, "'and I would like to sell it regular, but my old man, he buys everything, says it can't be had regular. I've sold many things in the streets, but I'd rather sell good second-hand in carpet or curtains, or fur in the winter, than anything else. They're nicer people as buys them.' It would be a good business if it was regular. Ah, indeed, in my time, and before I was married, 
I have sold different things in a different way, but I'd rather not talk about that, and I make no complaints for seeing what I see. I'm not so badly off. Them as buys carpets are very particular. I've known them take a tape out of their pockets and measure, but they're honourable customers. If they're satisfied, they buy. Most of them does at once, without any of your, is that the lowest, as ladies asks in shops, and that when they don't think of buying either. Carpet is bought by working people, and they use it for hearthrugs and for bedsides and such like. I know it by what I've heard them say when I've been selling. One Monday evening, five or six years back, I took ten shillings and ninepence in carpet. There had been some great sales at old houses, and a good quantity of carpet and curtains was sold in the streets. Perhaps I cleared three shillings and sixpence on that ten shillings and ninepence, but to take four shillings or five shillings is good work now, and often not more than threepence in the one shilling profit. Still, it's a pretty good business, when you can get a stock of second hands of different kinds to keep you going constantly. What in the street trade is known as flannels is for the most part second-hand blankets which have been worn as bed furniture and then very probably, or at the same time, used for ironing cloths, are found in the street markets where they are purchased for flannel petticoats for the children of the poor, or when not good enough for such use, for house cloths at a penny each. The trade in stocking legs is considerable. In these legs the feet have been cut off, further darning being impossible, and the fragment of the stocking which is worth preserving is sold to the careful housewives who attach to it a new foot. Sometimes for winter wear a new cheap sock is attached to the footless hose. These legs sell from a halfpenny to threepence the pair, but very rarely threepence, and only when of the best quality, though the legs would not be saleable in the streets at all had they not been of a good manufacture originally. Men's hose are sold in this way more largely than women's. This trade in second-hand stockings is very considerable, but they form a part of the second-hand apparel of street commerce, and I shall notice them under that head. Of the street sellers of second-hand bed-ticking, sacking, fringe, and so on. For bed-ticking, there is generally a ready sale, but I was told not near so ready as it was a dozen year or more back, one reason which I heard assigned for this was that new ticking was made so cheap, being a thin common cotton, for the lining of common carpet bags, portmanteaus and so on, that poor persons scrupled to give any equivalent price for good sound second-hand linen bed ticking, though, said a dealer, it'll still wear out half a dozen of their new slop rigs. I should like a few of them their slop masters, that's making fortunes, out of foolish or greedy folks, to have to live a few weeks in the street by this sort of second-hand trade, they'd hear what was thought of them then by all sensible people, which aren't so many as they should be by a precious long sight. The ticking sold in the street is bought for the patching of beds and for the making of pillows and bolsters, and for these purposes is sold in pieces at from tuppence to fourpence as the most frequent price. One woman who used to sell bed-ticking but not lately, told me that she knew poor women who cared nothing for such convenience themselves by ticking to make pillows for their children. Second-hand sacking is sold without much difficulty in the street markets and usually in pieces at from tuppence to sixpence. This sacking has been part of a corn sack 
or of the strong package in which some kind of goods are dispatched by sea or railway. It is bought for the mending of bedstead sacking, and for the making of porter's knots, and so on. Second-hand fringe is still in fair demand, but though cheaper than ever, does not, I am assured, sell as well as when it was dearer. Many of my readers will have remarked, when they have been passing the apartments occupied by the working class, that the valance fixed from the top of the window has its adornment of fringe. A blind is sometimes adorned in a similar manner, and so is the valance from the tester of a bedstead. For such uses the second-hand fringe is bought in the street markets in pieces, sometimes called quantities, of from a penny to a shilling. Second-hand tablecloths used to be an article of street traffic to some extent. If offered at all now, and one man, though he was a regular street seller, thought he had not seen one offered in a market this year. They are worn things, such as will not be taken by the pawnbrokers, while the dolly shop people would advance no more than the tablecloth might be worth for the rag bag. The glazed table covers, now in such general use, are not as yet sold second-hand in the streets. I was told by a street seller that he had heard an old man, since dead, who was a buyer of second-hand goods, say that in the old times, after a great sale by auction, as at Wanstead House, Mr. Wellesley Poles, about thirty years ago, the open-air trade was very brisk, as the street sellers, like the shop traders, proclaimed all their second-hand wares as having been bought at the great sale. For some years no such ruse has been practised by street folk. Of the street sellers of second-hand glass and crockery. These sellers are another class who are fast disappearing from the streets of London. Before glass and crockery, but more especially glass, became so low-priced when new, the second-hand glass man was one of the most prosperous of the open-air traders. He is now so much the reverse that he must generally mix up some other calling with his original business. One man, whose address was given to me as an experienced glass man, I found selling mackerel and pound crabs, and complaining bitterly that mackerel were high and that he could make nothing out of them that week at tuppence each, for poor persons, he told me, would not give more. Yes, sir, he said, I've been in most trades, besides having been a pot-boy, both boy and man, and I don't like this fish trade at all. I could get a pot-boy's place again, but I'm not so strong as I were, and it's slavish work in the place I could get, and a man that's not so young as he was once is chaffed so by the young lads and fellows in the tap-room and the skittle-ground. For this last three year or more, I had to do something in addition to my glass for a crust. Before I dropped it as a bad concern, I sold old shoes as well as old glass, and made both ends meet that way, a leather end and a glass end. I sold off my glass to a rag-and-bottle shop for nine shillings, far less than it were worth, and I swapped my shoes for my fish-stall and water-tub and three shillings in money. I'll be out of this trade before long. The glass was good once. I've made my fifteen shillings and twenty shillings a week at it. I don't know how long that is ago, but it's a good long time. Latterly, I could do no business at all in it, or hardly any. The old shoes was middling, because they're a free-selling thing, but somehow it seems awkward mixing up any other trade with your glass. The stall or barrow of a second-hand glassman presented, and still in a smaller degree presents, 
a variety of articles and a variety of colours, but over the whole prevails that haziness which seems to be considered proper to this trade. Even in the largest dragon bottle shops, the second-hand bottles always look dingy. It wouldn't pay to wash them all, said one shopkeeper to me, so we washes none. Indeed, I believe people would rather buy them as they is and clean them themselves. The street assortment of second-hand glass may be described as one of odds and ends, odd goblets, odd wine glasses, odd decanters, odd cruet bottles, salt cellars and mustard pots, together with a variety of tops to fit mustard pots or butter glasses, and of stoppers to fit any sized bottle, the latter articles being generally the most profitable. Occasionally may still be seen a blue spirit decanter, one of a set of three, with brandy in faded gold letters upon it, or a brass or plated label, as dingy as the bottle, hung by a fine wire chain around the neck. Blue finger glasses sold very well for use as sugar basins to the wives of the better-off working people or small tradesmen. One man, apparently about forty, who had been in this trade in his youth, and whom I questioned as to what was the quality of his stock, told me of the demand for blue sugars, and pointed out to me one which happened to be on a stand by the door of a rag and bottle shop. When I mentioned its original use, he asked further about it, and after my answers, seemed sceptical on the subject. "'People that's quality,' he said, "'that's my notion on it, that hasn't neither to yarn their dinner nor to cook it, but just open their mouths and eat it. Can't dirty their hands so at dinner as to have glasses to wash them in afterwards. But there's queer ways everywhere. At one time, what were called doctor's bottles formed a portion of the second-hand stock I am describing. These were files bought by the poorer people in which to obtain some physician's gratuitous prescription from the chemist's shop, or the time-honoured nostrum of some wonderful old woman. For a very long period, it must be borne in mind, all kinds of glasswares were dear. Small glass frames to cover flower roots were also sold at these stalls, as were fragments of looking-glass. Beneath his stall or barrow, the old glassman often had a few old wine or beer bottles for sale. At the period before cast glass was so common, and indeed subsequently, until glass became cheap, it was not unusual to see at the second-hand stalls rich cut-glass vessels which had been broken and cemented, for sale at a low figure, the glassman being often a mender. It was the same with china punch-bowls and the costlier kind of dishes, but this part of the trade is now unknown. There is one curious sort of ornament still to be met with at these stalls, wide-mouthed bottles embellished with coloured patterns of flowers, birds, and so on, generally cut from furniture prints, and kept close against the sides of the interior by the salt with which the bottles are filled. A few second-hand pictures, teapots, and so on, are still sold at from a penny to sixpence. There are now not above six men of the ordinary street-selling class who carry on this trade regularly. Sometimes twelve stalls or barrows may be seen, sometimes one, and sometimes none. Calculating that each of the six dealers takes twelve shillings weekly, with a profit of six shillings or seven shillings, we find one hundred and eighty-seven pounds four shillings expended in this department of street commerce, the principal place for the trade 
is in High Street, Whitechapel. Of the street sellers of second-hand miscellaneous articles, I have in a former page specified some of the goods which make up the sum of the second-hand miscellaneous commerce of the streets of London. I may premise that the trader of this class is a sort of street broker, and it is no more possible minutely to detail his especial traffic in the several articles of his stock than it would be to give a specific account of each and several of the sundries to be found in the closets or corners of an old furniture broker's or marine store seller's premises in describing his general business. The members of this trade, as will be shown in the subsequent statements, are also miscellaneous in their character. A few have known liberal educations and have been established in liberal professions. Others have been artisans or shopkeepers, but the mass are of the general class of street sellers. I will first treat of the second-hand street sellers of articles for amusement, giving a wide interpretation to the word amusement. The backgammon, chess, draught and cribbage boards of the second-hand trade have originally been of good quality, some indeed of a very superior manufacture, otherwise the cheap Germans, as I heard the low-priced foreign goods from the swag shops called, would by their superior cheapness have rendered the business a nullity. The backgammon boards are bought of brokers, where they are often in a worn, unhinged and what may be called ragged condition. The street seller trims them up, but in this there is nothing of artisanship, although it requires some little taste and some dexterity of finger. A new hinge or two, or old hinges re-screwed, and a little pasting of leather, and sometimes the application of strips of bookbinder's gold, is all that is required. The backgammon boards are sometimes offered in the streets by an itinerant. Sometimes, and more frequently than otherwise, in a deplorable state, the points of the table being hardly distinguishable. They are part of the furniture of a second-hand stall. I have seen one at an old bookstall, but most usually they are vended by being hawked to the better sort of public houses, and there they are more frequently disposed of by raffle than by sale. It is not once in a thousand times, I am informed, that second-hand men are sold with the board. Before the board has gone through its series of hands to the street seller, the men have been lost or scattered. New men are sometimes sold or raffled with the backgammon boards, as with the draft, at from sixpence to two shillings sixpence the set, the best being of boxwood. Chess boards and men for without the men, of course, a draught or the top of a backgammon board suffices for chess, are a commodity now rarely at the disposal of the street sellers, and, as these means of a leisurely and abstruse amusement are not of a ready sale, the second-hand dealers do not look out for them, but merely speculate in them when the article falls in their way, or seems a palpable bargain. Occasionally, a second-hand chess apparatus is still sold by the street folk, one man, upon whose veracity I have every reason to rely, told me that he had once sold a beautiful set of ivory men and a handsome leather board, second-hand, to a gentleman who accosted him as he saw him carry them along the street for sale, inviting him to step indoors when the gentleman's residence was reached. The chessmen were then arranged and examined, and the seller asked three pounds three shillings for them, at once closing with the offer of three pounds. For I found it, sir, he said. 
I had a gentleman to do with, and he told me he thought they were really cheap at three pounds, and he would give me that. Another dealer in second-hand articles, when I asked him if he had ever sold chessboards and men, replied, Only twice, sir, and then at four shillings and five shillings a set. They was poor. I've seen chess played, and I should say, it's a rum game. But I know nothing about it. I once had an old gent for a customer, and he was as nice and quiet an old gent as could be, and I always called on him when I thought I had a curious old tea-caddy, or knife-box, or anything that way. He didn't buy once in twenty calls, but he always gave me something for my trouble. He used to play at chess with another old gent, and if, after his servant had told him I'd come, I waited till I could wait no longer, and then knocked at his room door. He swore like a trooper. Draft boards are sold at from threepence to one shilling second-hand. Cribbage boards, also second-hand, and sometimes with cards, are only sold, I am informed, when they are very bad, at from a penny to threepence, or very good at from two shillings sixpence to five shillings. One street seller told me that he once sold a chinny cribbage board for thirteen shillings, which cost him ten shillings. It was a most beautiful thing, he stated, and was very high worked, and was inlaid with ivory, and with green ivory too. The dice required for the playing of backgammon, or for any purpose, are bought of the waiters at the clubhouses, generally at two pounds the dozen sets. They are retailed at about twenty-five per cent profit. Dice in this way are readily disposed of by the street people, as they are looked upon as true, and are only about a sixth of the price they could be obtained for new ones in the duly stamped covers. A few dice are sold at sixpence to one shilling the set, but they are old and battered. There are but two men who support themselves wholly by the street sale and the hawking of the different boards and so on I have described. There are two, three, or sometimes four occasional participants in the trade. Of these, one held a commission in Her Majesty's service, but was ruined by gaming, and when unable to live by any other means, he sells the implements with which he had been but too familiar. He lost everything in German Street a man who was sometimes his comrade in the sale of these articles said to me, but he is a very gentlemanly and respectable man. The profits in this trade are very uncertain. A man who was engaged in it told me that one week he had cleared two pounds, and the next, with greater painstaking, did not sell a single thing. The other articles, which are a portion of the second-hand miscellaneous trade of this nature, are sold as often, or more often, at stalls than elsewhere. Dominoes, for instance, may be seen in the winter, and they are offered only in the winter, on perhaps twenty stalls. They are sold at from fourpence a set, and I heard of one superior set, which were described to me as brass-pinned, being sold in a handsome box for five shillings, the shop price having been fifteen shillings. The great sale of dominoes is at Christmas. Pope Joan boards, which, I was told, were fifteen years ago sold readily in the streets, and were examined closely by the purchasers, who were mostly the wives of tradesmen, to see that the print or paint announcing the partitions for intrigue, matrimony, friendship, pope, and so on, were perfect, are now never or rarely seen. Formerly the price was one shilling to one shilling ninepence. In the present year I could hear of but one man who had even offered a pope board for sale in the street, and he sold it, though almost new, for threepence. Fish, or the bone, ivory, or mother-of-pearl card counters in the shape of fish, 
or sometimes in a circular form, used to be sold second-hand as freely as the Pope boards, and are now as rarely to be seen. Until about twenty years ago, as well as I can fix upon a term from the information I received, the apparatus for a game known as the Devil Among the Tailors was a portion of the miscellaneous second-hand trade or hawking of the streets. In it, a top was set spinning on a long board, and the result depended upon the number of men, or tailors, knocked down by the devil, top, of each player, these tailors being stationed, numbered, and scored, when knocked down, in the same way as when the balls are propelled into the numbered sockets in a bagatelle board. I am moreover told that in the same second-hand calling were boards known as solitaire boards. These were round boards with a certain number of holes, in each of which was a peg, one peg was removed at the selection of the player, and the game consisted in taking each remaining peg by advancing another over its head into any vacant hole, and if at the end of the game only one peg remained in the board, the player won. If winning, it could be called when the game could only be played by one person, and was for solitary amusement. Chinese puzzles, sometimes on a large scale, were then also a part of the second-hand traffic of the streets. These are a series of thin woods in geometrical shapes, which may be fitted into certain forms or patterns contained in a book or on a sheet. These puzzles are sold in the streets, still, but in smaller quantity and diminished size. Different games played with the teetotum were also a part of the second-hand street sale, but none of these bygone pastimes were vended to any extent. From the best data I have been able to obtain, it appears that the amount received by the street sellers or street hawkers in the sale of these second-hand articles of amusement is £10 weekly, about half being profit, divided in the proportions I have intimated, as respects the number of street sellers and the periods of sale, or £520 expended yearly. I should have stated that the principal customers of this branch of second-hand traders are found in the public houses and at the cigar shops, where the goods are carried by street sellers who hawk from place to place. These dealers also attend the neighbouring and, frequently in the summer, the more distant races, where for dice and the better quality of their boards and so on, they generally find a prompt market. The sale at the fairs consists only of the lowest-priced goods, and in a very scant proportion compared to the races. Of the street sellers of second-hand musical instruments... Of this trade, there are two branches, the sale of instruments which are really second-hand and the sale of those which are pretendedly so, in other words, an honest and a dishonest business. As in street estimation, the whole is a second-hand calling, I shall so deal with it. At this season of the year, when fairs are frequent and the river steamers with their bands of music run oft and regularly, and outdoor music may be played until late, the calling of the street musician is at its best. In the winter, he is not unfrequently starving, especially if he be what is called a chance hand, and have not the privilege of playing in public houses when the weather renders it impossible to collect a street audience. Such persons are often compelled to part with their instruments, which they offer in the streets or the public houses, for the pawnbrokers have been so often stuck, taken in, with inferior instruments, that it is difficult to pledge even a really good violin. With some of these musical men, it goes hard to part with their instruments, as they have their full share of the pride of art. 
Some, however, sell them recklessly and at almost any price to obtain the means of prolonging a drunken carouse. From a man who is now a dealer in second-hand musical instruments and is also a musician, I had the following account of his start in the second-hand trade and of his feelings when he first had to part with his fiddle. I was a gentleman's footboy, he said, when I was young, but I was always very fond of music, and so was my father before me. He was a tailor in a village in Suffolk, and used to play the bass fiddle at church. I hardly know how or when I learned to play, but I seemed to grow up to it. There was two neighbours used to call at my father's and practice, and one or other was always showing me something, and so I learned to play very well. Everybody said so. Before I was twelve, I've played nearly all night at a dance in a farmhouse. I never played on anything but the violin. You must stick to one instrument, or you're not up to the mark on any if you keep changing. When I got a place as footboy, it was in a gentleman's family in the country, and I never was so happy as when master and mistress was out dining, and I could play to the servants in the kitchen or the servants' hall. Sometimes they got up a bit of a dance to my violin. If there was a dance at Christmas at any of the tenants, they often got leave for me to go and play. It was very little money I got given, but too much drink. At last Master said he hired me to be his servant, and not for a parish fiddler, so I must drop it. I left him not long after. He got so cross and snappish. In my next place, no, the next but one, I was on board wages in London, a goodish bit, as the family were travelling, and I had time on my hands, and used to go and play at public houses of a night, just for the amusement of the company at first, but I soon got to know other musicians, and made a little money. Yes, indeed, I could have saved money easily then, but I didn't. I got too fond of a public-house life for that, and was never easy at home. I need not very closely pursue this man's course to the streets, but merely intimate it. He had several places, remaining in some a year or more, in others two, three or six months, but always unsettled. On leaving his last place, he married a fellow-servant older than himself, who had saved a goodish bit of money, and they took a beer-shop in Bermondsey. A free and easy, note, concert, end note, both vocal and instrumental, was held in the house, the man playing regularly, and the business went on, not unprosperously, until the wife died in childbed, the child surviving. After this, everything went wrong, and at last the man was sold up, and was penniless. For three or four years he lived precariously on what he could earn as a musician, until about six or seven years ago, when one bitter winter's night he was without a farthing, and had laboured all day in the vain endeavour to earn a meal. His son, a boy then of five, had been sent home to him, and an old woman with whom he had placed the lad was incessantly dunning for twelve shillings due for the child's maintenance. The landlord clamoured for fifteen shillings a rear of rent for a furnished room, and the hapless musician did not possess one thing which he could convert into money except his fiddle. He must leave his room next day. He had held no intercourse with his friends in the country since he heard of his father's death some years before, and was indeed resourceless. After dwelling on the many excellencies of his violin which he had purchased a dead bargain for three pounds fifteen shillings, he said, "'Well, sir, I sat down by the last bit of coal in the place, and sat a long time thinking, and didn't know what to do. There was nothing to hinder me going out in the morning, and working the streets with a mate, as I'd done before. But then there was little James, that was sleeping there in his bed. 
He was very delicate then, and to drag him about and let him sleep in lodging-houses would have killed him, I know. But then I couldn't think of parting with my violin. I felt I should never again have such another. I felt as if to part with it was parting with my last prop, for what was I to do? I sat a long time thinking, with my instrument on my knees, till, I'm sure I don't know how to describe it, I felt as if I was drunk, though I hadn't even tasted beer. So I went out boldly, just as if I was drunk, and with a deal of trouble persuaded a landlord I knew to lend me one pound on my instrument, and keep it by him for three months till I could redeem it. I have it now, sir. Next day I satisfied my two creditors by paying each half and a week's rent in advance, and I walked off to a shop in Soho where I bought a dirty old instrument, broken in parts, for two shillings threepence. I was great part of the day in doing it up, and in the evening earned sevenpence by playing solos in Waithorn's door, and the Crown and Cushion, and the Lord Rodney, which are all in the Westminster Road. I lodged in Stangate Street. There was a young man, he looked like a respectable mechanic, gave me a penny, and said, I wonder how you can see your fingers at all such a freezing night. It seems a good fiddle. I assure you, sir, I was surprised myself to find what I could do with my instrument. There's a beer shop over the way, says the young man. Step in and I'll pay for a pint and try my hand at it. And so it was done, and I sold him my fiddle for seven shillings, sixpence. No, sir, there was no take-in. It was worth the money. I'd have sold it, now that I've got a connection, for half a guinea. Next day I bought such another instrument at the same shop for three shillings, and sold it after a while for six shillings, having done it up, of course. This it was that first put it into my head to start selling second-hand instruments, and so I began. Now I am known as a man to be depended on, and with my second-hand business, and engagements every now and then as a musician, I do middling. In this manner is the honest second-hand street business in musical instruments carried on. It is usually done by hawking. A few, however, are sold at miscellaneous stalls, but they are generally such as require repair, and are often without the bow and so on. The persons carrying on the trade have all, as far as I could ascertain, been musicians. Of the street sale of musical instruments by drunken members of the profession, I need say little, as it is exceptional, though it is certainly a branch of the trade, for so numerous is the body of street musicians, and of so many classes is it composed, that this description of second-hand business is being constantly transacted, and often to the profit of the more wary dealers in these goods. The statistics I shall show at the close of my remarks on this subject. Of the music duffers. Second-hand guitars are vended by the street sellers. The price varies from seven shillings sixpence to fifteen shillings. Harps form no portion of the second-hand business of the streets. A drum is occasionally, and only occasionally, sold to a showman, but the chief second-hand traffic is in violins. Accordions, both new and old, used to sell readily in the streets, either from stalls or in hawking. But, said a man who had formerly sold them, they have been regularly duffed out of the streets. So much cheap rubbish is made to sell. There's next to nothing done in them now. If one's offered to a man that's no judge of it, he'll be sure you want to cheat him and perhaps abuse you. If he be a judge, of course, it's no go, unless with a really good article. Among the purchasers of second-hand musical instruments are those of the working classes who wish to practice, and the great number of street musicians, street showmen, 
and the indifferently paid members of the orchestras of minor, and not always of minor, theatres. Few of this class ever buy new instruments. There are sometimes, I am informed, as many as fifty persons, one-fourth being women, engaged in this second-hand sale. Sometimes, as at present, there are not above half that number. A broker who was engaged in the traffic estimated, and an intelligent street-seller agreed in the computation, that, take the year through, at least twenty-five individuals were regularly, but few of them fully, occupied with this traffic, and that their weekly takings averaged thirty shillings each, or an aggregate yearly amount of a hundred and ninety pounds. The weekly profits run from ten shillings to fifteen shillings, and sometimes the well-known dealers clear forty shillings or fifty shillings a week, while others do not take five shillings. Of this amount, about two-thirds is expended on violins, and one-tenth of the whole, or nearly a tenth, on duffing instruments sold as second-hand, in which department of the business the amount turned over used to be twice and even thrice as much. The sellers have nearly all been musicians in some capacity, the women being the wives or connections of the men. What I have called the dishonest trade is known among the street folk as music duffing. Among the swag shopkeepers, at one place in Houndsditch, more especially, are dealers in duffing fiddles. These are German-made instruments and are sold to the street folk at two shillings sixpence, or three shillings each, bow and all. When purchased by the music duffers, they are discoloured so as to be made to look old. A music duffer, assuming the way of a man half-drunk, will enter a public house, or accost any party in the street, saying, Here, I must have money, for I won't go home till morning, till morning, till morning, I won't go home till morning, till daylight does appear, and so I may as well sell my fiddle myself, as take it to a rogue of a broker. Try it, anybody, it's a fine old tone, equal to any cremona. It cost me two guineas, and another fiddle, and a good un too, in exchange, but I may as well be my own broker, for I must have money anyhow, and I'll sell it for ten shillings. Possibly a bargain is struck for five shillings, for the duffing violin is perhaps purposely damaged in some slight way, so as to appear easily reparable, and any deficiency in tone may be attributed to that defect, which was of course occasioned by the drunkenness of the possessor, or possibly the tone of the instrument may not be bad, but it may be made of such unsound materials, and in such a slop way, though looking well to a little practised eye, that it will soon fall to pieces. One man told me that he had often done the music duffing, and had sold trash violins for ten shillings, fifteen shillings, and even twenty shillings, according, he said, to the thickness of the buyer's head. But that was ten or twelve years ago. It appears that when an impetus was given to the musical taste of the country by the establishment of cheap singing schools or of music classes, called at one time singing for the million, or by the prevalence of cheap concerts where good music was heard, this duffing trade flourished, but now, I am assured, it is not more than a quarter of what it was. There'll always be something done in it, said the informant I have before quoted, as long as you can find young men that's conceited about their musical talents, fond of taking their medicine, note, drinking, end note. If I've gone into a public house, room, where I've seen a young gent that's bought a duffing fiddle of me, it don't happen once in twenty times that he complains and blows up about it, 
and only then, perhaps, if he happens to be drunkish, when people don't much mind what's said, and so it does me no harm. People's too proud to confess that they're ever done at any time or in anything. Why, such gents has pretended, when I've sold them a duffer, and seen them afterwards, that they've done me. Nor is it to violins that this duffing or sham second-hand trade is confined. At the swag shops, duffing cornopians, French horns and clarionettes are vended to the street folk. One of these cornopians may be bought for 14 shillings, a French horn for 10 shillings and a clarionet for 7 shillings sixpence, or as a general rule at one-fourth of the price of a properly made instrument sold as reasonably as possible. These things are also made to look old and are disposed of in the same manner as the duffing violins. The sale, however, is and was always limited, for if there be one working man, I was told, or a man of any sort not professional in music that tries his wind and his fingers on a clarionet, there's a dozen trying their touch and execution on a violin. Another way in which the duffing music trade at one time was made available as a second-hand business was this. A band would play before a pawnbroker's store, and the duffing German brass instruments might be well toned enough, the inferiority consisting chiefly in the materials, but which were so polished up as to appear of the best. Some member of the band would then offer his brass instrument in pledge, and often obtain an advance of more than he had paid for it. One man who had been himself engaged in what he called this artful business, told me that when two pawnbrokers whom he knew found that they had been tricked into advancing fifteen shillings on cornopians, which they could buy new in Houndstitch for fourteen shillings, they got him to drop the tickets of the pledge, which they drew out for the purpose in the streets. These were picked up by some passer-by, and as there is a very common feeling that there is no harm, or indeed rather a merit, in cheating a pawnbroker or a tax-gatherer, the instruments were soon redeemed by the fortunate finder, or the person to whom he had disposed of his prize. Nor did the roguery end here. The same man told me that he had, in collusion with a pawnbroker, dropped tickets of sham second-hand musical instruments, which he had bought new at a swag-shop for the very purpose, the amount of the duplicate being double the cost, and, as it is known, that the pawnbrokers do not advance the value of any article, the finders were gulled into redeeming the pledge as an advantageous bargain. "'But I've left off all that dodging now, sir,' said the man with a sort of a grunt, which seemed half a sigh and half a laugh. "'I've left it off entirely, for I found I was getting into trouble.' The derivation of the term duffing I am unable to discover. The Reverend Mr. Dixon says, in his Dovecote and Aviary, that the term duffer applied to pigeons is a corruption of dovehouse, but query? In the slang dictionaries, a duffer is explained as a man who hawks things, hence it would be equivalent to peddler, which means strictly beggar, being from the Dutch bedler and the German bettler. End of section 3